Welcome to the Proverbs 910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth. We're your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Rose Spiller and Chris Paxson. Rose, I've heard Christians say that under no circumstances whatsoever should a Christian practice yoga and martial arts. I've heard them say that as long as they divorced any spiritual aspect of the practices away from the exercise that it's fine to do either, and in the case of martial arts, I've heard it said that Christians should not only avoid it because of the spiritual components in some of it, but they should avoid it altogether because of the violent nature of it, even if it's for self-defense. I've heard all those things too, and that's why we decided to talk about it. So let's start with yoga. Chris, I remember several years ago, after you came back from visiting your son, you had some conversations with some young adults at church who were practicing yoga. You didn't hound them about it or anything. You just talked with them about what you'd heard on a radio program while you were driving. And it wasn't received as any type of warning at all, was it? No, and like I said, like you said, I didn't hound them. And I'm not sure that in all cases there needs to be a warning. But some people think there needs to be. Let me explain. I was driving to North Carolina by myself and as I went I was listening to some talk radio and I have no idea what station or what the program was. It might have been something local for all I know, but it wasn't familiar, it wasn't a familiar program. But there were two men talking about yoga and one of them had been a former university professor who also used to be a yogi. You say he used to be, so he got out of it? Yes. He became a Christian, and once he started delving into what the real meaning of the different yoga poses were, and what emptying your mind is all about, and what Aum, saying Aum, means, he quit. When he inquired into it, it really shocked him. I've heard that the idea of different yoga poses are done to invite demons into your body. That's one of the things that he said. And he also talked about the kundalini serpent and the chakras like we covered in our episode on alternative medicine. The kundalini awakening. Yes. Sounds like a mafia torture. It does. (laughs) To recap that part of the alternative medicine episode, the belief is that there's an omnipotent energy that gives life to every living thing. The Japanese and Chinese spell it differently, but call this ki or it's called prana by Asian cultures. The belief is that inside our bodies are seven chakras or wheels of life. These chakras are energy centers starting at the base of the spine and there's seven of them. Most call this energy kundalini energy and they picture the kundalini as a serpent goddess at the base of the spine. The first chakra coiled up. These chakras are the energy centers that get blocked and that blocking impedes the energy from freely flowing upward through the seven chakras. And that results in mental, emotional, and physical problems. Right. And it's believed that opening the top one fully exposed gives you access to a higher consciousness. And they call that the kundalini awakening because the snake can move all the way up through the chakras and eventually be out. Yes, because kundalini can finally move all the way up the chakras without being impeded, we said it then and we'll say it here that it doesn't in any way line up with Christianity. None of it does. Christians don't believe that we have a goddess called Kundalini or by any other name living inside of us that needs to have us open energy centers to be let out so we can be spiritually awakened. That's exactly right. I mean, the Holy Spirit resides in Christians. He awakens us to new spiritual life by regenerating our hearts. John 6, 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. God does the work of establishing the relationship with his people. He acts first. We don't act first, like trying to open our chakras, no. You mentioned that the guy you heard on the radio talked about meditation and yoga. It's Eastern meditation, not biblical meditation, and they tell you to empty your mind. 
But the Bible never says we're to empty our minds. No, it doesn't. The Bible says we're to meditate on the Word of God. But in yoga classes, meditation is done ultimately to reach what practicers of it refer to as final liberation or enlightenment. The yoga class starts and ends by chanting Aum, which is pronounced Aum, A-U-M. The idea is that it creates a vibrating frequency that's the same sound as the quote-unquote basic sound of the universe. So by chanting it, you're acknowledging your connection with nature and all other living beings, human and animal. This is pantheism. And that's the belief that the universe is one and basically that everything in it is God. Right, and the practice of saying Aum is rooted in Hinduism and Buddhism. And Aum represents the union of the three gods. A for Brahma, U for Vishnu, and M for Shiva. Chanting it is an invitation for these three gods to come into your soul. At its core, yoga is an exercise in spiritual development, but not Christian spiritual development. It is far from Christian spiritual development. It is. And in figuring out... If it's for us as Christians, we need to ask, what's the goal of yoga? And the answer from true yoga adherence is to reach moksha, or in other words, nirvana. The liberation from worldly suffering and the cycle of rebirth and reincarnation leading to an enlightened relationship with the false gods of the supreme Brahma or Lord Vishnu. You use the term true yoga adherence. You're talking about those who practice yoga seriously. The people who practice it is more than just doing exercises on a mat every week. For them, it's a self-disciplined life of austerity that revolves around the five principles of yoga, which are proper exercise, proper relaxation, proper breathing, meditation, proper diet, and positive thinking. Right. And the diet can be something as little as some bread and water, maybe a few vegetables, and Many yogis use laxative or en- laxatives or enemas, and they even have a way to do an enema without even taking anything. Hmm. And some, at least in earlier times, recommended swallowing long strips of fine muslin along with those laxatives for a more thorough cleansing. Like it wipes up your insides? I, yeah, kind of. It was like the way it was described was like three inches wide. That's a lot of muslin. Oh, that's horrible. Don't do it. Anyway. For strict adherence like those, the things you just listed are part of the steps of the Eightfold Yoga Path, which is trying to develop the mind, body, and soul to get rid of problems that supposedly are self-imposed. They're trying to get you to transcend into some higher level of consciousness, seeking some union with a false god. But today, like you said, a lot of people, especially Americans, think of yoga as just another form of exercise. The history of how yoga came to America and turned into something people just consider another form of exercise is pretty interesting. Ideas from the Orient were brought to America by people like Ralph Waldo Emerson or Henry David Thoreau in the mid-1800s and by a Hindu monk from India named Vivekananda who came to plead for help for starving people back home and ended up staying and leading yoga at a spiritual retreat center opened by two women in Maine. He became popular enough to speak at the Chicago World's Fair in 1893. And largely, Americans weren't happy about yoga. It was more prominent among the elite members of society, including President Woodrow Wilson's daughter, Margaret. It eventually made its way to Los Angeles, and it seems that somewhere in the 1950s, it started to morph slightly for some people into a more beauty-slash-exercise type of routine. 
And in the 60s, it became a little bit more popular because of the ceremonial sex and the drugs that were used to enhance meditation. And by the mid 80s, many yoga studios left the religious aspects out and focused just on the exercise and the physical and psychological benefits until about only 2% of Americans practiced some form of it. So let's talk about how it became what it largely is today. Well, some well-known yogis put the religion back in it and reintroduced Americans to not only the health benefits, but the religious practices yoga came from. So Chris, there's all kinds of yoga. All of them have roots in false Eastern religions. So let's talk about what things a Christian should consider before doing yoga as exercise. Because obviously a Christian isn't going to practice the religious aspect. No, they, they shouldn't anyway. There are definitely some other things to consider. Basically, there's seven different kinds of yoga and each one has its issues. Like you said, all of them are based in Eastern religions. They're either based in Eastern religions, they have some New Age things, and some occult all mixed in together, some of them. They're a mix of believing we're all part of God, pantheism, karma, liberation from reincarnation, nirvana, reaching a false god named Kundalini, and we could go on. But absolutely none of these ideas are Christian. Right, and we've said it before, but it's always worth repeating. Christians are to meditate on scripture, meaning they're supposed to think deeply or carefully about something. It flies against what meditation and yoga is supposed to do, even if you're told it's just supposed to relax you. Christian meditation is thinking about and considering. It's mental exercise, not mental relaxation. A Christian should never think of any part of yoga as some way to grow spiritually. Not ever. A lot of people say that Hatha yoga, which is probably the most popular yoga used for exercise purpose, is all about physical postures and breathing. Therefore, it shouldn't be wrong for a Christian to participate in those. But the postures and the breathing in Hatha yoga are part of the means to all the rest of it. They were never meant to be separated out of the other steps of reaching nirvana. And true practicers of yoga and real yogis say that you can't divorce the yoga postures from the rest of it. You can't re divorce any part of it from its religion. In fact, they're offended at that idea. And here's what's been termed Christian yoga or holy yoga, where they say Jesus instead of Am, or tell you to meditate on a Bible verse. Can Christians redeem yoga moves and make it Christian? In yoga, the whole idea of chanting a word or phrase is to help you transcend your mind and emotions and ultimately merge or become one with a false god or with the universe. This is not the god of Christianity, and Christians don't believe that all of the universe is God. And in addition to that, to tell people who know that you're a Christian that you're going to yoga class is endorsing yoga. Good point. To open up a business called Christian Yoga or Holy Yoga is endorsing yoga. For people who don't know anything about it, it's confusing. We should feel free in our Christian liberty to stretch however we'd like to, to participate in exercise, to calm ourselves through breathing, to think about the scriptures in silence, but we should do it in a way that does not identify with yoga. That's a great point. For anyone who'd like to think about this a little more, there's a small booklet on Amazon. I think it cost me 99 cents. No kidding, 99 cents. It's written by a man named Mike Shreve. I'm not sure if he's the guy I li listened to and on my way down to Zach's or not, 
but he's an ex-Kundalini yoga teacher, and he's now a Christian. It's a really short read, but he has a lot of really great things for people to consider if they're thinking about doing yoga. I recommend reading it. Okay, so Chris, let's move on to martial arts. Let's start with Tai Chi, because for the same reasons we put forth about doing yoga, Tai Chi cannot be severed from its false spiritual roots in Taoism. The Taoist belief is a universal energy called Qi or Qi, depending on the language of its origin. Qi is believed to be the binding life force in the universe, existing both externally and internally, moving through invisible channels in the body called meridians. Taoists believe in the yin and yang and balancing the universe. Yeah, they believe that the universe, like you said, is held together by this chi. But in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, we're told that Jesus holds the universe and everything <laughs> together. The scripture says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know talking about Tai Chi, a good while ago, Chuck Norris, who's a Christian martial arts guy for you younger people who don't know who he is. He's a phenomenal martial arts <laughs> yes, guy. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, and he had some good movies and shows. Walker, Texas Ranger. Yes, I did. We watched that all the time. But he came up with an alternative to Tai Chi. But unlike Christian yoga or holy yoga people, he named it something totally different. He called it slow flow. At the beginning of this episode, we said there's different ways Christians looked at doing martial arts. Those reasons were all of it's wrong because their roots are in Eastern religion, that it's okay to do them if you divorce yourself from the religious parts, and that Christians shouldn't do any of them because of the violent nature of them. We've already talked enough about practices steeped in other religion, so let's give a rundown of a few kind of martial arts that have a spiritual component to them. Okay, Aikido. Aikido means the way to union with the universal force. This impersonal force is known as the chi again. So the goal of Aikido is to control both self and your environment. This is steeped in Eastern mysticism. And then Judo and Jiu-Jitsu. Judo involves many grabbing and throwing techniques. Jiu-Jitsu concentrates on the human joint locks and concerns itself with striking and maneuvering procedures. Judo has a slight spiritual origin, while jujitsu was designed as a type of war fighting with virtually no spiritual link. Right. Karate, karate is primarily a physical martial art, but in some schools they involve Eastern meditation. So it's at this point that karate becomes spiritually dangerous. And then kung fu. There's different styles of kung fu. The more traditional forms associate with Buddhist roots, and the less traditional forms concentrate more on the physical aspects. And then there's ninjutsu. The worldview behind ninjutsu is pantheism, that all is God, and that, like we said before, contradicts Christian view that God is not the universe, he's the creator of the universe. And then Taekwondo. Taekwondo is a physical sport-oriented form of the martial arts. It's one of the most compatible forms of Eastern self-defense with Christianity. Right. So once again, whether a Christian should or shouldn't participate in one of those martial arts depends on whether there's an Eastern religious component with it. And sometimes it's going to depend primarily on whether the instructor includes those. Just like we said in our podcast about alternative medicine, the terms for all these things are sometimes interchanged. 
by some leaders and the religious aspects may be there, may not be there. Everybody's kind of different and this stuff gets meshed together. So it kind of depends on your instructor. That's a great point. So if the instructor promotes Eastern religion in any way, as a Christian, you should avoid that school. Yeah, let's talk about the view that martial arts are not compatible with Christianity because of the violent nature of them. Many scripture passages do speak against violence. For instance, in Matthew 26, 52, Jesus said, Put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. But other Christians point out that when Jesus spoke with the Roman centurion, he didn't say that being a soldier was wrong. And in Luke 22, verse 36, Jesus instructs his disciples to take a defensive sword with them. These verses and others say that the Bible does not condemn self-defense and that the use of force is sometimes justified. The issue of self-defense is something that should be done according to each individual believer's conscience. Right, so in light of all that, we should say that in regard to martial arts without a religious component, Christians shouldn't fight about whether to participate or not. Instead, each one should pray about his or her own position in it and be gentle when talking to others. And that's where we need to end today. Like we said at the beginning, whether these forms of exercise and self-defense can be harmful or not, and whether they line up with the Bible or not, can be confusing. But we hope this episode has shed some light on things that Christians should take into consideration before delving into any of it. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, please leave them on whatever podcast platform you're listening to today or on our website, Proverbs9TenMinistries.com. Have a blessed day.